Stand by. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You are listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Topically your show on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, and today we're going to be talking with the legendary Emmy Kemp. Miss Kemp started off in life as a child prodigy, and it just got better from there. Born in Chicago, Emmy was raised in a talented and socially conscious family who encouraged the arts expressed through music and dance. As a child, she began playing the piano by ear and then started writing short compositions. Her talents grew as she was exposed to gospel, blues, and ragtime, eventually becoming the protege of ragtime piano man, Yubi Blake, whom she began to record with. In time, she moved to California, where she was coached under the eminent pianist Egon Petrie, and eventually expanded her jazz anthology to include from classic to modern. She has performed in many famous venues, which include the Waldorf, Las Vegas Dunes, and even performed a show in Monte Carlo that Princess Grace attended. Ms. Kemp's venture into film was via a Woody Allen movie entitled Sweet and Low Down, which starred Sean Penn. She lent her considerable talents to Broadway via the musical Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, Raisin and Bubbling Brown Sugar, a song composed and written by Miss Kemp. Emmy Kemp has given her heart and soul to her profession and is still going strong. So, rather than me continue to list her accomplishments, Miss Kemp is here waiting in the wings 
to enlighten her audience about herself, her career, and her many talents. So let's welcome Emmy Kemp to the show. Welcome, Emmy Kemp. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Deborah Schuler. Happy to be here. Well, it is my pleasure. And, well, tell me a little bit about your background, where you were born and raised. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, at Illinois Research Hospital. I'm still there. Sounds so good I. to me. Yes. So how many members are in your family? And briefly tell me about their impact on you. Well, there are not many of the immediate family around. In, in fact, immediate family, not at all. Fortunate, my, fortunately, my father had two children, my brother, who was 10 years older, and myself. So that started off with two. And then my aunt, baby sister of my brother, of my father, rather, had five children, and that made it possible for at least four cousins. I love them all. They love me. We're distances apart. They're out in Indiana. I'm in New York. Hopefully that we will all get together again soon at better occasions than it usually is. So let's see each other and let's sing songs and live life for the living as they would be. Wonderful people. Thanks. Well, didn't you tell me your brother was uh, talented as well? Was he into music or dance? Oh, my brother was, actually, he was a wonderful artist. And as a teenager, as many teenagers in Chicago and other places perhaps, at the time they were sent to the best or considered the, the most challenging art school. The Art Institute of Chicago is where my brother mm. as a teenager, young teenager and others, were sent on Saturdays. Just as in New York, they sent very talented under young teenage to Juilliard on Saturdays. So uh, young people should be, I think, uh, allowed to be as broad as they can be. A lot of times they're sort of limited by what maybe even parents think they can do. We know what the creator can do and has done. Wonders at very young ages. Chronological age is not what I'm about. Thank you. Well, I agree <laughs> with that. Uh, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, you yeah. did mention your first song uh, you plucked out on the piano was a Western song. Well, I found out later that was considered uh, a kind of country Western. Um, my brother took piano lessons before. They gave him everything, tap dancing and um, uh, drama, everything. Uh, by the time I came along, it was a little more crowded in there. Uh, not really crowded, but my grandmother on my mother's side was with her, with us from birth. But uh, my brother had piano lessons and all the other kinds. But on the piano that we had, uh, I kind of toddled up, they told me one day, and plumped out something that sounded like da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da, which is the first line of Home on the Range. And, I uh, recognize. <laughs> well, it wasn't too good, but you can kind of get the notes if you know the song. Thank you. American song called Home on the Range. I guess I'm a range pianist. That's the end of that. Here comes some more. Well, you mentioned your grandmother. Now, she had a great influence on you. Tell me about her for briefly. Granny was the one that if you did something that was really not what was acceptable, if you told Granny, oh, goodness, please don't tell I me. Mean, it's like going to, you know, the, the, uh, not really the gallows, but it was very serious, and there <laughs> would be a meeting on that. And you didn't want your fairy godmother, who was a friend of my mother's, you didn't want your daddy, oh, no, don't tell daddy, no. Anyway, <laughs> Granny knew how to reprimand, and she had raised, actually, uh, two daughters. My aunt, 
that was my mother's oldest sister. She only had one sister, one brother who was younger, and she was the <laughs> middle child. But they had all passed before she did. And this is one thing, of course, that yeah. made my grandmother on my mother's side cling to me. I'm the last thing left. Her parents were gone, the others, brothers and sisters of hers on my mother's side. Fortunately, my father's relatives did survive longer. Did she pass down some of her wisdom to you? Well, I knew not to really sass her. That's number one. That doesn't have <laughs> to do with, I think, that has to do with survival. Don't get a spanking <laughs> because you said a bad word or spoke too loudly to an adult or acted like you thought you were grown. And that's what happens a lot of times as children. And they don't have to be old <laughs> and teenagers, but it usually comes along at teenage time when it seems that a lot of things are going around in our bodies and our heads, and it makes us think some things that are not so. Oh, we can do that. You don't have to do that. Then don't try it. <laughs> well, tell me about the age that you started performing publicly, and, and where did you perform? Was it church or where? Well, the church, as in many other cases, was especially children of color, because that is the social institution as well. Not that they don't have them in other religions as well, as Baptists, which is what I was brought up. But sometimes in our communities, there is a need for more than an outlet. For example, if we couldn't do the things that were possible uh, in other neighborhoods, what were necessary. For example, uh, I lived in Morgan Park, which was the same thing as Chicago. It was a suburb, uh, but not like a bedroom community, not at all. But at a time when my little seatmate uh, back of me, or across the aisle, uh, had polio. And one of the uh, helps was supposed to be able to get into a pool. Uh, we were refused, or her family was refused, the opportunity to go to the pool, which was very near us, uh, just across one, one, one railroad track. This, this brings about the period of time that I was growing up in, which, thank goodness, that was for the, segregation, right? What did that you say? That was during segregation. That, that was, was during, during segregation. Yes, it was definitely during that time. And I experienced that first when I went south with my. Uh, grandmother for the first time, and uh, we knew about segregation before you got that far south because Evansville in Indiana, just south of Chicago, was where you changed your seat or else where they brought a curtain to put uh, a, between you and the dining car uh, so they wouldn't necessarily see you, the non-black uh, patrons. But that's, that's broadening. Oh, there are these things I can't do, just like, oh, I can't sit down in the front when I went to Atlanta for the first time had to continue back, but that's all right. We survived that because we knew who we were, all one people. Exactly. Uh, speaking of, of church, did Mahalia Jackson attend your church or once or just period as a member? Well, Mahalia was not a member of our church, but as other members of the, you can call it um, meditational, uh, inspirational communities, uh, Mahalia went from church to church. She lived on the south side at the oh. time, as many people of color did. We lived farther south in what was called Morgan Park. But Mahalia went from early day, maybe Sunday school even, as very often the people that were dedicated to spreading the word of peace and harmony, loving each other no matter what you looked like, how much money you made. Even if you didn't come in contact, you knew that, the world is one family, there's one creator, and to spread the word, the good news, joyful gospel, that's what she wanted to do. She didn't sing in clubs, 
But she came to our church, I'd say at the end of the day, when her beautiful pompadour that she was identified by, it was kind of coming down on her face. It didn't matter. She had the word. She had the music. She had the spirit and the love. How lovely is that? Uh, now, really at age seven, would you tell? Say sorry? that again. I'm sorry, darling. Would, I was just going to ask you that at age seven, uh, was that when you started writing your short, short musical compositions? Well, no, before that, because I had uh, I was pushing seven when I did my first recital, as we called it at our church. It was a beautiful new grand piano that our minister, Reverend. Uh, Keller had, had uh, helped bring in there with new ideas also. He understood a lot of things. And uh, because he was the kind of minister and speaker, not just sermons to do this, do that, uh, there were things that were happening there that might not have happened before he got there. He was a new young minister from the south side, the Pilgrim Baptist Church to be exact. Uh, but there was a baptismal pit, and then uh, that was you know ele- elevated when the water had to, place, uh, to be down somewhere. And on the pulpit, the piano was on the floor, this lovely new Steinway, and uh, that was where I played. They lifted up there for that concert, for that recital, as I call it, and I was pushing seven. Uh, it was 1942, I think it was, uh, whatever year I was seven. <laughs> it's going to be well, seven, you, six. You also mentioned that uh, you were sponsored for one of your recitals by a women's group. Tell well, me about yes. that. Well, actually, that was... Uh, there were other groups other than women's groups because on my first recital, which was at Beth Eden's Baptist Church in Morgan Park, um, there was a group of, of professionals. We won't say that there's any social stratification that I'd like to recognize as such, but there were degreed people, doctors, lawyers, judge-to-be, uh, and there were women who were behind the men that helped make them what they became. And uh, who was Ida B. Wells? We want to find out who mm-hmm. was. She later became Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, a co-founder of oh, yeah. Bethune Cookman College, and a close, I would say, a friend. Yes, they became friends. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune and Eleanor Roosevelt's husband was Franklin D. Roosevelt, and I'm sure she had to do with some of the decisions that Franklin Delano Roosevelt made because oh, that's how wives are. <laughs> They help Definitely. make up minds that matter. Well, yes. well, Eleanor was involved in many, many uh, social programs and, and, and did help the black race quite a bit, I would say, wouldn't you? Oh, she did. And she helped our young people uh, yes. uh, to learn that they are equivalent to winners, no matter what uh, someone who says, no, you can't have this job, uh, tells them. It's about your own self-esteem. You know who you are. You know who your creator is. And you know who you are as a creation, a reflection of beauty, yes, ability, and best thought for all. That's where I come from. No matter if they say they don't like you. Oh, that, that's not love overcomes and should be your motivating, motivating factor. And that's mine. Thank you. I agree so much with that, that love should be your motivating factor. But let tell me about the musical schools that you attended in your lifetime. I know you went to, did you go to NYU and Northwestern? Well, that was the end. NYU uh, was almost, I think, the last few schools I'd been in. Uh, uh, actually, having been in military, I had a bit of GI Bill, but that was very early. 
uh, I, I and not really early as far as history goes, early in my life, because I had already been through WW2, not as a, as a military, but I felt when my brother was yanked out of college <laughs> to go and serve, which he did, of course. And when he got back, our mother had already passed. Uh, I was then uh, 16, 14, no, 14, I'm sorry. Yes, uh-huh, when he uh, finally got back. And uh, there was the time for him to be going to college, learn something other than music. But let me tell you, they needed what I did when I came in there. They needed a pianist for special services. How about that, to be needed in the military other than being a fighting source? No, I was needed to play and to, after the regular person that was running that department, that was the special services at, uh, for the enlisted people at Fort McClellan, Alabama, 1956, uh, I needed to be able to produce shows for people from different walks of life, different economic backgrounds, and not the officers, but those who needed to see each other, to feel each other, to hear each other, to know each other. That's what America is, a mix of people that need to get closer together, and that's part of my mission here. As a civilian, as one that was in at one time, that was my mission then, bringing people together. For understanding, Deborah. I want to play yes. a song associated with Duke Ellington, which you're familiar with, oh, entitled yes, Take the Day Train. So oh, yes. I, do you mind if I play that song? I would love you to do that, and there was a collaborator on that, too, out of Pittsburgh, and I'm going to say the hello to all the people in Pittsburgh as well. He's a wonderful composer. He wrote many things, and that was a collaboration with, that. in fact, that was the official Duke Ellington band song, The A-Train. Well, let me, let me go with Take the A-Train, Duke Ellington. Thank you.
You know, I often take the A train to Harlem. Isn't that where you live? That's where I live right now. Yes. Okay. In fact, if you always take it, maybe you'll stop in sometime and see me. I take the Broadway train number one, though. <laughs> take the Broadway train number one if you want to get anyone hurt. That's near City College. I almost Okay, well, the one right near me. The A yes. and the one are, are in my neighborhood. Okay. So it'd be well, either one, but it's the shorter with the one. I'll come straight on up Broadway. Yes, yes. Now, um, I used to live in Northern California at one time. Uh, after I left Chicago when I was 18, this was after my grandmother's death. The, the, I mean, the, the, the relatives were, you know, somewhere else. Uh, I had a sponsor. Well, that, that, that near San Francisco? Where in Northern California? Oh, I lived in, in Oakland on the, in, on the okay. East Bay first. Uh, my sponsor had seen me, uh, going back to Mary McLeod Bethune, there was one of the uh, very important women's organizations. It wasn't that well known. But uh, during WW2, going back to that time, you can tell this is like the swing era, as they called it in jazz uh, at the time, too. Uh, but uh, there, were organiz- there were neighborhoods, there were states, there were cities. Um, where men of color and women of color were not necessarily... Um, welcome that much in the downtown, or as you call it, the, when you go in town to get whatever, uh, buy some new shoes or whatever, they weren't necessarily uh, welcome there. And it was necessary to think about, say, mothers especially, you know, is my son or is my daughter going to a neighborhood where they're going to come back uh, harmed or else um, intimidated? No, uh, that's why we are taught at home to, to hold yourself in high esteem, not Better than, no, not that, but understand that everyone is the same and you must carry yourself with stalwart understanding, not anger. That can be destructive. But you know, you know who you are and why. Thank you. Well, that's Thank why it's important to do work with children. Uh, yes. It's very important to, to inspire them to think better of themselves and that they're not less than, but they are as good as anyone else. Absolutely. That is one of the things you you like to do, right, to inspire others. Uh, In fact, I want to mention something about your dad to to segue into something else I'm going to ask you. But I have to ask you about your dad. Absolutely. He's your foundation. Everything what forms a human being is what their foundation is, and that starts with your parents. So what does your father do for a living? Oh, my father loved people. He loved to be around them. He loved to speak. He didn't necessarily run on as I do. I apologize if I've done that too much. But he wanted to be with the people and give them what they needed, especially people of color. Uh, He was an insurance man. And insurance was something that people of color, black people especially, needed. They felt that when I I pass on, uh, and the spirituals actually, when they were in bondage, so to speak, when they were in slavery, so to speak, uh, it might have been something mm-hmm. that was bought already, and they might have been free, but they remembered others and had that kind of capacity to p- put themselves in the place of others. But those uh, who were still, say, grieving, maybe uh, a death, uh, uh, maybe there was not enough to bury them. This was assurance, perhaps, uh, that they might have a little something to at least uh, be buried honorably, as they might call it. They might not have cars to go to the cemetery. That's not that important. But you had also a celebration. Say in New Orleans, when they, they after the 
person was buried, they had a parade, a good time. They do that, in right. fact, uh, in honor of Scott New Joplin Orleans. right now. They do that a lot in New Orleans. That's right. And out here in New York, there is a particular uh, cemetery where Scott Joplin was uh, buried. They celebrate his death every year. I haven't been there yet, but I'm going to go. And uh, that no, that that uh, movie also that was made about Scott Joplin, just as a movie, I have to go to this, about Miles Davis. These are not necessarily things we should necessarily remember uh, about Miles' uh, temper. or uh, Back to me, it's my interpretation of the idea of why this movie was made so people could see you don't have to do that. If you're angry, you learn how to manage that. This, this is mental illness. Let's take care of this. If Scott Joplin had syphilis, as they said, they, they're, they're doing other things now to help us with this. Point out these things early and let you know that as physically, uh, as, as I, uh, do something about your health as well. That's part of your self-esteem. Well, speaking of that, speaking of uh, uh, self-esteem and humanitarian pursuits, uh, your your father or your parents were involved in social topics, and yes. and, and so are you. Yes. So tell me about your involvement with uh, kids and women and the handicapped and seniors, which you do through music. Tell me about that. Well, uh, more recently I have become, become one of the handicapped. But uh, as a child I always liked, as all children do, to play with other children. And uh, before I had an opportunity to myself, uh, think about for myself, I'll think for myself, to think about what children liked. I know what children's the songs I liked in school. Uh, and as an adult, I said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll do the same kind of thing, uh, broadening children's thoughts. Uh, for example, I decided I would do uh, some songs with the idea, what do you see? What do you feel? What can you identify with? Uh, friends, uh, this has to do with what you're like when you get to be an adult. If there's a friend that you just borrow money from <laughs> when you have a problem, <laughs> and the first line is, do you like a trip to the zoo, an auto ride on Sunday? Uh, do you have fun when it's raining? Do you have fun anyway uh, when it's raining too? Uh, that's what friends are, people they can sit with. Even if they don't talk, you can think about the same things. You don't necessarily want to take the toy away from your friend that they has. You don't want to take their business away from them. Uh, but you want to think, okay, well, that's, that's good. Maybe my friend and I will have a business together. We'll sell lemonade outside and we'll split. It's like sharing your toys, sharing your thoughts. Uh, I've always things are happening and they're coming alive in a different kind of way. Uh, but my grandmother would tell me about the times that she went to Washington, D.C. She was from Atlanta originally and lived there most of her life, except from the time when she came, came into, to, new, to Chicago, I'm sorry, to be with my mother and my father and me. Uh, my brother was growing up, and I was still young enough to be around Granny quite a lot. But uh, she was talking about when the women in what was called the Federated Clubs of Women, uh, this is in the uh, 20s, uh, they put their funds together, and they got buildings that they bought. And when uh, it was not that um, comfortable or possible for women of color to go to, say, a hotel, even if they could afford it, they had the Harriet Tubman Club, one of our women that was, uh -huh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, and going to, as far as It was as a upper, social club, right? It, it was, was a, a social club. And, and not necessarily a social club. It was built with the idea of building for people of color, especially, or those who could not stay uh, where it was 
not even legal at that time for them to stay, not allowed in whatever part of Georgia it might be, for them to physically mm. be in this building. They are not, they're not supposed, no coloreds or no Negroes or whatever they wanted to call it here. Uh, no, I, I did not experience that by the time I came along, not being able to pledge to stay in a hotel or dwelling place. But my fairy godmother, who was a contemporary of my mother, a bit older than she, when they moved to California, there was a place called the Harriet Tubman Club. They were seniors by then. So I've been mm. around a lot of old people. I've not been around that many young people, even when I was growing up. But when you grow up with a mother who says, remember, you are no better than anybody else, anyone else, you understand what it means. You can be more likely to put yourself in someone else's place and say, even if I can stay here, I'm not going to stay here. This is one thought well, that, that you're no better or no less than. Oh, do you have something We'll else? move on to talk about Woody Allen's film that you did in 1999. Okay. Me and Low Down that starred Sean Penn. Tell me about that. Yes. That was fun because with Woody's kind of uh, style of writing, I was convinced. I had no idea. I didn't need to be convinced. I just knew, I just knew that this character was really uh, one that existed, that he had heard about in uh, American history. Uh, one that had wanted to go to Paris to play with the uh, Hot Club of Paris band. Uh, Django Reinhardt was part of that. Uh, Stefan Grappelli, uh, uh, Italian name, I think he was raised in, in France. Uh, and Django Reinhardt, the, as they called him, gypsy uh, guitarist, uh, was in it. And uh, the pianist that had been part of, who put, played for Josephine Baker, uh, who was from M Missouri, <laughs> where my father, in fact, in fact, go back and forth. My father was an insurance man and, in fact, was on air. So maybe that's where it came from. I want to be on your show so much, I can't tell you. I'm so happy that yes. I have the opportunity because my father in his early years uh, was on air. So here I am on your Blake radio show, and thank you for this opportunity. And yes, you mentioned your father was went on the radio to talk about the insurance ads uh, yes. in, yes. in his time. That's right. But, but this is in Missouri, where Josephine and her family yes. ran to to get to St. Louis. There was a riot in their in, in East St. Louis. So we'll go on from there now to other things. Whatever you say. Okay, let's let's move on to when you performed in Monte Carlo and and Princess Grace attended the performance. That must have been something. Well, they were having fun. They were on a night out, <laughs> she and Prince Vanier. And uh, there was another gentleman that was, uh, and his wife, and another prince, yeah, and princess, yes, from another country as well. Uh, and um, I also had an opportunity to be, uh, and when Princess Grace was not uh, dressed for the evening, she was walking around with uh, those uh, shoes that are made of, of um, I think they have hemp. They used to have hemp soles, and she was preparing for her favorite event, fundraising event, and that was the Red Cross Ball. Uh, and she was, we were smiling and nodding as she walked around and did flowers or whatever at the table. Uh, but I was there because I had an opportunity to wait around or be there the n another time when Lena Horne was rehearsing her show. I also had an opportunity to be around when Frank Sinatra was rehearsing his show. So it paid off in different ways for me to be in Monte Carlo at that time to see uh, live up with her head right at my piano. Uh, that's the way the seating was. The Prince Grenier's back was to the 
courtyard outside. And I was staying in the same hotel where Nina Horn was, but I didn't bother her there. I was a little shy of, of celebrities, but I knew that she wanted and needed her uh, 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 privacy. But we bumped into each other, Nina Horn and I, on the street uh, in front of a bank. She was mm. coming, and I was Nina Horn, and I was coming out of a bank with one of her financial advisors, no doubt. And I was passing by, but we reiterated what we had before. She had been offered the role that I later played, which was a mature, 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 <laughs> mature woman. I must be younger than Nina. I must say that it was. Uh, yeah, I'm a different generation. But I was offered the role that they wanted Lena to play, uh, because. But if she was beyond that, she had been in Hollywood. She'd been a star uh, many times. Uh, for her can't study, you can be coached. I love the coaching that the people around me have something after the show was over. Did you did you know Ubi Blake was in the audience? No, I didn't. <laughs> have you ever met Ubi Blake? No, at that time, no, I haven't. I was saying, no, bother, don't bother me. I can't cope. And uh, I had, oh, that was on Broadway at that time, 47th Street Theater. A uh, young lady named uh, Mickey Grant out of Chicago. Mickey Grant wrote that particular show. Uh, you and uh, Mary and I, I mean, um, I should say, you, um, Mickey and I knew each other um, before it came to Broadway. In fact, I subbed, I call myself the sub sub. So I was uh, subbing that night uh, that Ubi Blake happened to be there and saw me playing in the pit, which was actually built, the set was the, the band to be above the audience. And she, of course, this is a doctor uh, who also taught at uh, uh, one of the universities that was part of the, the New York uh, University system. Uh, and she also wrote the book called Black Classical Composers. Uh, she was in the audience um, that night and saw me at my restaurant after my show was over and said, did you know you was like, was so that was the opportunity for him to see me he didn't get a chance to speak to me, nor I to him that night. But he remembered who I was, and Carl Seltzer, who was his man Friday, and who helped him with his own EBM, UB Blake Music Company, like some oh. of the women we know. He started, and he didn't know about uh, the fact that uh, there's been a, a female, or more than one female that started their own record company, but he was about understanding whomever you are, if you can, do your own business. And you can run it the way you want to. You can have who you want to, what studio you want to, if you can afford that. And you can afford to go back to school, which is one of the highlights in my career. One of the things I like to do, I was going back and go back in 1991, and I was going to go to City University up here, a few blocks from where I live. However, just like many freelancers, uh, we are the artists are so many freelancers, we can't say no to a contract. <laughs> Uh, we can't really afford to because we don't have the same kind of uh, insurance or we don't have uh, the same kind of... Uh, you and Yubi. But uh, Yubi actually invited me uh, through his right-hand man, Carl Seltzer, whose family had wanted him to be a doctor, but he loved sound, he loved theater, he loved lighting, a genius at lighting, a genius at a number of things. And so he and Yubi had a recording session for me and for two other of the young women that were my contemporaries. And what came out was a recording called UB Blake Song Hits with UB and His Girls. Um, they, mm. they, the one, yes, UB and His Girls. And actually, the show that came to Broadway uh, called UB after Bubbling Brown Sugar, and uh, certainly before 
ain't misbehaving. A lot of people think that uh, re- that another show was what brought back the music of the Roaring Twenties, and Roaring is with a rolled R. Bubbling Rod Sugar was a show that brought the swing period back, that brought the jazz age back, that the Roaring Twenties, that brought back the 1900s with Scott Jobson's Ragtime and Yubi in 1983. It brought the inspiration that Yubi gave me when I heard about. He'd gone back to learn the Schillinger music theory system when he was in the 60s at NYU. Well, let me just mention that you yourself were, you, you mentioned you were in uh, or acted in Don't don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, and you were in uh, Lorraine Hansberry's musical Raisin. And you were the writer of Bubbling Brown Sugar. If people don't know that, you composed and wrote the song. Yes, yes. but many others before that and after that. and uh, Actually, uh, Donnie Holgate was music director for Bubbling Brown Sugar, but don't bother me, can't cope. And, again, I'm the sub-sub. Donnie couldn't do everything, so he asked me, would, would you, could you play um, rehearsals for Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope? under Burnett Carroll, wonderful director, uh, producer, oh, yeah. and then later watching <laughs> Burnett, who did not take any stuff from any actor, no matter how grand they might have thought they were. Uh-huh. Uh, she ran her show uh, at the Urban Arts Corps. Thank you for the, the, for the contributions of those to, who do what they do. For those of us, the organization, whatever it is, you don't have to do Well, that. you mentioned uh, the names Nikki Grant and, yes. and uh, Lorraine Hansberry. Mm-hmm. All of these people and UB. But who are some of the other famous greats that you work with in your career? Jazz wise, the leader of and the, the, the um, for, as far as I know, formulator of the jazz program that still extends is there at NYU. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Jufri, who did arrangements, orchestrations for the swing era bands, Woody Herman, those guys, they were some of the foundation people in jazz. Uh, at, at, at the uh, Philharmonic Hall, whoever I worked with on the, mm. on the show, that was, I was not saying whoever worked, that were uh, foundation people in establishing what is the measuring rod for jazz singers, Nancy Wilson. And we, of course, were doing a particular show at Lincoln Center, before Lincoln Center Jazz. That was when it was, uh, before it was at the location, it was Philharmonic Hall. And that was, again, with children, with young people, a benefit for the youth center out in Queens. That was after you, after Louis Armstrong became a center of attention when he started living there. And they discovered that Louis Armstrong and his wife lived there in our community. They were proud of that. And so I was proud of being a part of that for the purpose of another youth center, the children carrying it on. Thank you. And even Lena Horn lived Branches of the service. They needed a black, beautiful goddess, such as the look that Alina Horn had. She became their... But don't forget Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt was also in film. But Eartha was a little later. And Eartha was not on the le- and on the level as being the say in quotes star, stormy weather. Actually, uh, in the show that was presented first with that song being done by Harold, Harold Allen was in the audience uh, where I was working. Okay, okay, okay. Ooh, all right. 
who <laughs> Harold Allen was known to be shy. Uh, but but I didn't want to stop playing while he was there. I didn't want in case he might leave before I got a chance to speak to him. He was sitting at a place which was a bar. Uh, it was on First Avenue, across the kitty corner to the UN. Uh, Harold Allen had this. this he always wore, I understand, a, a, a flower in his, his lapel, and he was sitting there. If I'd known he was sitting there all that time, I would have complete a whole raft of Harold Harling songs, as far as my repertoire goes. Yes, I, I know even the words, even though I wasn't singing when I was coming up. I only sang because people, we want you to sing. Okay. This started at, in the Capitol. I'm going different places where I've been. Jesse Unruh, U-N-R-U-H. Uh, political, uh, political figures have been, been those who have been mm -hmm. who have observed me and those who have been important in the time of politi political movements, such as, as they called it, the Civil Rights Movement, when uh, uh, Mrs. The 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 uh, uh, the um, widow. I don't. It's just a sad thing. To, but but one of the things I can go back and forth. One of the things that our purpose as artists, as special musical artists, is, and Mahalia Jackson knew this. We want to be, and we are indeed, purveyors of comfort. Comfort. Purveyors of mm -hmm. comfort. Reverend. And activists, and activists in your own way. Were you involved in own in, way, in yeah, to, to help the girls who are in grief. And the were you involved in, in human rights as well? Only as an, as what I did, uh, and as an observer. My grandma, my mother took me to the civic league meetings. These had to do with various in our own community, even not waiting till the sixties. <laughs> my grandma, my mother was dead by that time. But uh, but in the sixties, in the civil rights movement, were were you? Did you participate musically or some other way? I I participated by participated by demonstrating what I knew to be the best thing, and that was to come together with whatever people there were, bring them together who might not have thought, wanted to talk to each other when they were in Oklahoma or Arkansas, or taking advantage of each other. We are. Here what well, if you want Arkansas, I'd play Arkansas Traveler, but if you want that, I'll play uh, the WBLS dance music. We and I, I've always been integrated, if you want to call it that. They may not have given me the score, or I might have even got the score that I just uh, discovered that I got. It wasn't the top score, but maybe that was reserved for someone who had um, contact with someone whose relative was the top legislator in the state of Alabama. You think going to give me the top? Uh, that wasn't this kind of, 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 of a contest down there. That was another time when I'm making the decisions of what I do. So I bring a Harlem dance. Out of time. Yes. We're running out of time. The mill workers. My website, I wish I'd told you before, and I forgive me for not knowing enough to do that at the beginning. That's what I do it now. My website is E M M E, pronounced M E. Mm -hmm. Not it's, it's not with a Y. It's M E, with a Y E E M M E M E Kemp, K E M P. It's not Kim, and they look for that too. K E M P, M E Kemp all A L L, music M U S I C, dot com. Okay, and that's Emmy that all music dot com. Yes. So if anybody wants to look you up, they can find you there. And one last question, because we're almost at the end. We've got a minute left, and okay. I want to ask you. Thank you. 
How do you, how do you want to be remembered? What is your spiritual way of being? My spiritual way of being is, as I said in one, I say different words that can can express it. I want to be a comforter. I want to relieve people of grief. I want to show people my statement is freedom. And Cheryl Wills Uh uses this in her her book called Die Freedom. And that's what her people were doing when they went north. That's what my people were doing when they came from Georgia. That's what my people were coming, uh, doing. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, others, the, the people that I know, there were people that came to Chicago whose ancestors were from Brazil. Brazil, another slave holding, maintaining and and pr- producing the slavery, brought in by other European people. Well, we are we have forty one seconds left, so. Uh, I just want to thank you. The, the curtain is about to drop on the show, and I want to thank you for the hour that you spent with us. How so long did I stay? That's long enough. Invite me back. I'll be better. <laughs> You're good now. You're I'll very practice. good now. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Emmy, for, for coming on Topically Yours, and I want to thank my listeners for making yes, my topic you. Topically Yours. And we're going to close the show. Because we got ten seconds left with Brassy, that's my tune. You got it. It's another one. So this is another one. Here we one. go. And yes, you're not gonna bury Can me. Put your it in my face.
Thank you for tuning in to my show with the legendary Emmy Kemp. And this is the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul.